Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer, so I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I am Kate Spencer. And I am Dory Shafrir. And we are not experts. No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. You can visit our website, Forever 35 Podcast, for links to everything we mentioned here. We're on Twitter at Forever35Pod, Instagram at Forever35Podcast. Join the Forever35 Facebook group where the password is serums. You can shop our favorite products at shopmy.us slash forever35. You can sign up for the Forever35 newsletter at forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. Should I keep going? Oh, yeah, Kate. You're doing great. Okay. I feel like, remember when we were kids and that, that man who talked very fast did Hot Wheels commercials? 
Do you know who I'm talking oh. about? No, Do you remember I don't. this guy? I don't, but I just like take my word for it. Where you're going with this? There was a man in the '80s who talked really fast and was a spokesperson for things. And I feel I'm feeling very inspired. I'm going to continue by saying, if you want to reach us, you can leave us a voicemail or send us a text at seven eight one five nine one zero three nine zero, or you can email us at forever thirty five podcast at gmail.com. And we also have an amazing merch collaboration with the folks at Balance Bound. All those products can be found at balancebound.co slash shop slash forever35. Kate, you really nailed that. It felt good. My lips were like going so fast. I couldn't yeah. stop them. You were going. I mean, you know? I feel like maybe you should train to be an auctioneer. Okay. I mean, I'm all for second careers, third careers, second lives, third lives. So, you know, why not? Why not? This is what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you for seeing me in my hidden talents story. Oh, of course. It's my pleasure. Um, Kate, how are you doing on this very hot day? Honestly, I am. I'm hot. You know, we have uh, we have the AC turned up into to a warm temperature because we're trying not to max out the electrical grid here in Southern California. So it's not like I'm sitting here in an ice box. You know, we're trying to preserve energy, and uh, you know, it's warm. But I'm lucky to be in my home with my water, and I'm just trying to stay as cool as I can. Literally, so we- stay cool, everybody. We um, used to keep our AC a few degrees cooler, and Mm -hmm. I think we froze the condenser because, like, that's a thing that can happen. (laughs) And so we have been keeping it a few degrees warmer than, like, I think especially my husband would prefer. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. we also have invested in a bunch of tower fans. And I know people say that, like, fans don't actually cool you down. They just move the air around. But, like, honestly... They cool me down. Oh, I'm happy to hear this. Yeah. So, like, I would recommend getting some fans because fans use like less electricity than AC. You can turn your AC up a little bit. I mean, like, you know, make it a little warmer and have some fans going. So, that's my hot, cool tip. My cool down I tip. I appreciate this. I mean, I'm also basically <laughs> wearing no clothes. Like, I, I'm... My uniform is a a shirt, like a crop top shirt with a built-in bra and bike shorts. And that's basically Ooh. all I've worn for the last week. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I'm in a dress. Um, and are you comfortable? I am comfortable. Oh, that's all that matters. I like just having some like flowiness going on, you know? Mm-hmm, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? See, I like everything to be like stuck to my body and contained. Oh. Like I want to... Well, I want to basically forget that, like, my boobs can move in this hot weather. Mm. I just don't. It's like, I don't want to have body parts. That sounds wrong. But you know what I mean? It's just everything is so hot and sticking together and sweating. And it's just, you know, and it's, it's really, it's unforgivingly hot here. And obviously, you know, we're concerned about community members who are out in the heat and it's just it's it's really up it's there's layers of this that are upsetting in addition to just like how do you manage your own comfort you know i've been checking in on our little free pantry to make sure there's water and i've been leaving water out for any delivery people who come by and 
I don't know. I mean, it's just freaking sucks. Just as. Yeah. Like the, not to get, you know, too intense here, but like the extent to which we're seeing the impact of the climate crisis with folks in Jackson, Mississippi, not having running water. It's Mm -hmm. like, Jesus Mm -hmm. effing Christ. So anyway, this kind of gets me actually on a tangent that I was thinking about, Dory. This is kind of weirdly related. I'll just throw this out here as a thought. You know, today there was like some like news and the like Donald Trump stole a bunch of documents situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it like the news pissed me off. Uh, and I was then I was like, you know what, Kate, you have to consciously uncouple from political news like this. And you need to consciously couple with how you can help your community because that's actually things you can, that's actually stuff you can impact, which I think you're Mm -hmm. doing, you know, how you're volunteering for a local city council campaign. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought of that as I was like, there's nothing I can do to change a legal national security crisis. Like there's, there's nothing I can do. So my rage doesn't have a purpose and it just serves to get me worked up. Whereas what if I consciously uncoupled from that, but I wasn't, I wasn't taking myself out of understanding what's going on in the world, right? Like we have these conversations a lot of like, can I, I don't want the news is stressful. And it's like, I get that, but like, we still want to be citizens of the world and help our community. So I just, I decided to consciously uncouple from news like that. Yeah, I mean, I I really like the impulse to simultaneously help like on a local level, because I think, you know, I think that also goes along with like what we're doing with our giving circle and kind of helping and and participating and being parts of communities that we can actually make an impact in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like, you know, I don't think you're ignoring the news or shutting it off because like we've talked before I think about the privilege of being able to just like turn off the news Mm -hmm. but it sounds like you're you're navigating the news in a way that makes sense for your mental health so I I applaud you and I think it's like identifying which news does not that it doesn't impact my life but which news I can actually that actually will I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I don't know. Yes, Dory, I agree. Thank you for seeing me in this space as I kind of think about this and co-opt a term that Gwyneth Paltrow came up with when she got divorced. (laughs) Dare I say, I like how I'm using it a lot. I think it works. (laughs) I think it works. Uh, I'm going to think about other things I can consciously uncouple from. (laughs) Your our phones consciously uncouple from your phone. Mm. I mean, that's like a constant journey, uh, plastic waste. That's a big one for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, we could consciously uncouple from lots of things. It's true. But then we can also consciously couple with stuff that is great. makes us feel good. Like, you know, (laughs) consciously couple with like, you know, some sourdough bread toasted with butter like that's a relationship i'm into yeah (laughs) anyway how is your uh how is your like whittling down of clothes going you had a whole system and i'm very curious and i want you to know that i actually attempted it i attempted your hanger trick 
Oh, yeah? How'd it go? Yeah. Well, I only turned one thing and then I forgot that I was doing it. So I would love to hear how you're doing. Well, okay. So full disclosure, I was like, I don't really feel like sitting here and turning around all the hangers in my closet. (laughs) So what I'm going to do is anytime I wear something, I'm just going to put it back in reverse. That's what I thought. That's what I did. That's what I thought you were doing already. I didn't realize it was it was people turning the hangers the opposite way. And then when you put them in the regular way. Yeah, because like, well, you're kind of just doing the work up front because Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then anything that's left at the end of the time period is already facing the correct way in your closet. Whereas like the way I'm doing it, I'm going to have to flip all this stuff around (laughs) at the end. You know what I mean? Either way you have to do like annoying work is what I'm hearing. Yes. Although I do think the way I do it, I ultimately have to do less work because the stuff that I'm not wearing, I'll just take out of my closet. And then the stuff that I'm wearing, I'll flip back. Whereas I, you know, in the other scenario, I would be flipping everything. See what I'm saying? I do. I do. <sighs> so, yeah. So, you know, it's only been two weeks, right? Okay. When did okay. I say I was going to do this? Two weeks ago? Something like that. Does that sound right? <laughs> that sounds good to me. Let's say two weeks. <sighs> my my conclusion thus far is I wear the same like four things. <laughs> now, granted... As discussed, it has been quite warm here. Right. So that, like, I feel like that kind of has, that's that's been an issue, right? Because, like, there's some things that I'm just not going to wear. Like, I'm not going to wear, like, a thick black dress or something, mm-hmm. long sleeve mm-hmm. dress right now. Um, so that's definitely a factor. And I'll be curious to see what happens when it cools down a little bit. But definitely in terms of like, what do I wear when it's hot? It's like four things. <laughs> so just is, to sort of see that was that funny. Good feedback for you to receive. Good data. Right? You yes, know what else? Good data. So something else funny happened this morning, which is that I have this like, kind of like beach cover up caftan thing that I almost never like I I don't think I've ever actually worn it I bought it and I brought it on a trip I didn't wear it and it's just like hung in my closet um but Henry and I were going to one of his friends houses this morning to swim in their pool and I was like oh I'll wear that beach cover-up it's perfect it's like it's like white with hot pink kind of (laughs) tie-dye um and it's too long so that's the other thing. I'm like, oh, I need to like. There's going to be stuff that I put on that I'm that I'm going to be like, I need to get this tailored. So Oof. I feel like that's like another category of of item. Oh my goodness, that stresses me out. Okay. <laughs> and at first, I was like, I could. I, this is fine. I can just wear that. And I was like, no, this is like literally dragging on the floor. No, no. So, and like, you really too want long. to. Yeah, you want to have stuff that's going to really work, right? Like we don't want to we don't want to waste anybody's time here. Exactly. Especially our own. Truth, truly though. Yeah. Time is time no. is precious. And you know, I do think that um I have historically been like quick to sort of discard things that don't fit perfectly when like I could get them tailored. 
that said, I have gotten a couple things tailored in the past that like, I feel like made them worse. (laughs) So I think I sometimes have to be a little bit careful with that. So I have a jumpsuit that I bought two years ago, secondhand from somebody that has been sitting in my closet because it's, it doesn't fit right. I need to get it tailored, but I've never gone to get it tailored. Will I ever get it tailored? It's been two years. For further context, it's an Elizabeth Suzanne jumpsuit, which is a clothing line that isn't made anymore. So it's kind of unique. Okay. But will I ever really do it? If it's been sitting there for two years, wouldn't you say that's something one, like, Kate, you're never going to go get that. I mean, that's what I would say to myself. Yeah. I think you just got to do it. Now, I also do just want to note that Elizabeth Suzanne, like, she has returned. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. She, like, relaunched her line um, with, like, a much smaller range of items that does not include any jumpsuits. Okay. Which I think is interesting. Um, But she, yeah, she's back, sort of. Okay. Okay. Just as a point of information. Well, if anyone out there wants a kind of creamy Elizabeth Suzanne jumpsuit and wants to buy it for me, it's definitely for a tall bodied person. Okay. Okay. Good to know. I think it, I don't know what the Elizabeth Suzanne size is, but I think it fits. I'm like a 10, 12. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if anybody is out there listening who wants to buy this for me and just save uh, me from keeping this in my closet for another two years, you let me know. I will include okay. a car. I'll include a copy of my book. How about that? Wow. For me. Yeah. I'm really, I'm desperate to get rid of this jumpsuit. You really want to get rid of this jumpsuit. I just need to do something with it. I'm like, oh, I should get rid of this. And then I'll try it on. I'm like, oh, I just need to tailor it. It's so attractive. It's so great. And then I put it back in and then I never take it to get tailored. And then I, I do that over and over and over again. So. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Sorry for this is a, this is a very long, boring story of my Elizabeth Suzanne jumpsuit. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, so like I said, I'm curious to see what happens when the weather changes. And I think that's why it's also a good idea to do this experiment, like over the course of at least a few months. Yeah. So that you can kind of, even a year so that you can kind of just get that all those seasons, various events. Like, you know, if you did, let's say you didn't do it in in a time that included like the holidays. And then the next year rolls around and you get invited to like holiday parties and you're like, oh, I got rid of all of anything that I could potentially Mm -hmm. wear to a holiday party (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I thought I'd never wear it. So I'm just sort of trying to be mindful of that. I think this is fabulous. I think it's very, you know, this has been like an ongoing thing for you. It has been. And, you know, I think I, I have... I have, like, as I discussed, I have kind of refined, like, especially what I buy mm-hmm. um, based on, like, what I now know are colors that look good on me and, you know, various other factors. Um, but, like, that doesn't mean that everything is a is a hit. Um, and, yeah. And I also, you know, I do just want to note that... I'm really trying not to donate stuff anymore because I just am so 
leery of what happens to stuff that you donate. And so I'm really trying kind of like, okay, I think this sort of circles back to what you were saying in the beginning of the show, like keeping it in the community, like selling it to friends or giving it away. Like I just gave away four bags of like baby stuff to someone in my buy nothing group. I gave away some more baby, like more baby clothes to a friend. Like I would so much rather give something to a person than bring it to a store like Goodwill where like, I don't know if that stuff is just going to end up in a landfill. I know it's really, it's really tricky. Um, I actually have like a million things sitting out on my front door area for buy nothing people too. If you're interested in buy nothing groups, you can go to buynothingproject.org if you're trying to find a buy nothing group in your area because they're very local, like hyper local. Um, but that has been a lifesaver for me in terms of repurposing things that I may not like. I'm like, what am I going to do this? I should just throw this out. And then I post it in the buy nothing group and someone scoops it up. And you know, like, you know, someone, it's going yeah. to a place that might actually use it. So, yeah, I know that's really I mean, look, that on the other of, hand. On the other hand, like I, I know that there are people who like rely on places like Goodwill to buy clothes and household goods and all that other stuff. Um, I, but I do think though that like what we are seeing right now is a glut of stuff in those types of stores. So I feel like right now my focus is on, on not contributing to the glut, not worried that they don't have enough stuff to sell. Right. Got it. Well, interesting conversation, Dory, that I'm eager to mm-hmm. continue as mm-hmm. we evolve. Yes, same. Well, shall we introduce our guest for today? Let's do that, Kate. Well, we have the absolute pleasure of talking to Marissa Franco. Dr. Franco is a professor, psychologist, and author of the forthcoming book, Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. She's been a featured guest on Good Morning America, The Today Show, and NPR's Here and Now. She's one of the leading academic experts in this area out there. And we were very excited to tackle this topic of friendship because I feel like in our four and a half years of doing this podcast, surprisingly, friend relationships, platonic relationships, has been a topic that has come up way more than I ever expected when we first started doing the show. Hmm. Yeah. So it was great to actually speak to an expert about how to make friends. Totally. All right. Well, we'll be right back with Dr. Franco. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. 
It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings, there's nights out, it's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Superpower Short. The Superpower Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that my, thing every day. I do too. Uh, it's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me let me just tell you why. Yeah, get okay, into it. Do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no. I was just going to say like, I, I, I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh, God, like get this off of me. No, thank <laughs> once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it could like, be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year, I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the US and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So, this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm I hearing mean, those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be Redefining feminism with glorious dynam. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, 
Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or, or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Dr. Franco, if I may, may I call you that? Which is preferred? (laughs) You can call me Marissa. (laughs) How does this work with a doctor? I feel like it's so exciting to have that tag in front of one's name. Uh, Well, Marissa, Dr. Franco, we're so excited to have you here on Forever 35. Um, We're going to dig into adult friendship because it's a hot topic on our show. And as Dory and I like to say, we are not experts, but you are an expert. So can't wait to get your insight. But before we get started, we love to begin every episode with one question for all our guests, which is what is a self-care practice that you maintain in your day-to-day life? Mm, I would definitely have to say this may be a little on brand for me, but hanging out with my friends, spending Mm. time with them. Mm. (laughs) I think it settles my nervous system. How how did that, how did you navigate that in COVID? Because I, st- and I know we're still in the pandemic. Uh, and I think this has come up a lot. At least it has for me of like, how, how do I friend? Like, how do, how am I like, how do I humanly friend with people in real life? It's a little clunky now. Have you noticed that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I definitely felt 
more awkward and more uh, self-conscious. Like I Mm. thought people were rejecting me and like social cues were a little harder. Like when are we Mm. each ending our sentence and not like overlapping and verbally like, I don't know, launching into each other. And uh, I think it's, it's pretty normal because like socialization is a muscle just like anything else. When you're out of practice, it'll wither a little bit. And, you know, when I asked my followers on Instagram, at least most of them were like, yeah, I feel socially anxious and weird uh, after not socializing with people for two years. Yeah, I do. I did this. I was telling, we had a listener write in about social anxiety and I was telling Dory, I was in a crowd for the first time and I was like, I don't know how to talk to any, to anybody. Are there like practices that you put in place? Like I, I like that you say that friendship is a muscle or socialization is a muscle. And I, I know you dig into this in your book, which we'll get to, but like for those of us who are are tuning in and are like, I don't know how to go back out into the world again and just even like have small talk. How do you exercise that muscle? Yeah. First of all, you're soft with yourself and mm-hmm. um, give yourself empathy and, and don't expect yourself to be socializing at the same rate. I think especially because people are like, I'm so tired after social interaction now. Um, Or at the same degree of quality as you were beforehand, right? Because I think it's Mm. easy to get defeatist. And I think the more we feel like we're coming off as weird, the weirder we get. (laughs) Um, So self-compassion, I think, is really important. And then just trusting that like over time as I interact with people, it's going to come back, right? Um, it's it's a skill like that's already there. We just are like waking it up again. It's kind of like when you learn a language and you don't mm. speak it for a while, but then you're back in the country and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, you know, you're, you're just going off in that different language, right? And, and you can just trust that, hey, once I have enough interaction again over time, I'm going to start feeling like myself again. Well, you know, this leads to kind of a, a broader question, but I do think the last few years have really, at least for me, and I think our audience highlighted how significant friendship is in sustaining joy in our lives. What is the importance, do you think, as as an expert in the space on maintaining and and nurturing these kinds of relationships? What does it give us as individuals? Um, It's the best predictor of our mental health that we have. Um, One study looked at 106 factors that influence your level of depression and having a confidant was the number one uh, influencer in the positive direction against depression. Our sense of our identities too, we figure out who we are by seeing aspects of ourselves represented in others close to us. Mm-hmm. Um, when we get close to people, we begin to include them in our sense of ourselves. So what they do feels almost like what we do, which is why friendship can really expand our sense of who we are. I think that was a hazard of the pandemic. If you're home, even if you have a spouse, you're just interacting with one person and having one experience of yourself. Um, and that can feel really flattening or make you feel like, I don't know, it's like a kind of weird, like disease. I don't know how you all would like describe it. Like just like a, almost like a bit of a dysphoria, I would say from like not interacting with Mm. people and having a larger community. And the last thing I'll just say is that as social creatures throughout our history, we've just needed an entire community to feel whole. And in the research on loneliness, there's actually three dimensions of loneliness, only one that can be fulfilled by a traditional spouse. There's intimate loneliness, which is craving deep intimate connection that you get from a spouse or a best friend or maybe a family member. 
Um, there's relational loneliness, which is lonely. I'm lonely for like someone as close as a friend. And there's collective loneliness, which is I'm lonely for a larger community working towards a common goal. Mm. So even if you mm. found like your best friend in your spouse, you can still end up very lonely because of two dimensions of loneliness that require you to find connection outside of them. Can you talk a little bit about um, the difference between IRL connection and virtual connection? Ooh. Yeah. So I would say from the research that um, IRL is the cream of the crop when it comes to connection. And virtual connection benefits the mo- us the most when we turn it into IRL connection, right? There's this theory mm-hmm. called displacement theory, that social media only makes us lonelier when it displaces our in-person connection. But when we use it to facilitate in-person connection, like sliding in your DMs, being like, we haven't talked in a while, like just wanted to see how you're doing, let's hang out, right? Mm. Then you're actually less lonely, which is why the relationship between social media and loneliness is really complicated because it depends on how you use it. I will say there are exceptions to what I'm saying. Um, People with social anxiety, for example, report having more quality interactions online because online might not trigger uh, their anxiety in the same way. They feel like they could be more comfortable. You know, people with disabilities certainly rely on on IRL communities. People that are lonelier too, but as I, I don't actually talk about this in the book, but fun fact, loneliness isn't just a feeling, it's a state of mind. When we're lonely, we think people will reject us. We like people less. We have less compassion for humanity. We desire to withdraw because we experience this vigilance for rejection when we're lonely, right? Because if you think about it historically, if you were lonely, you were alone on that savanna, you were really in danger. So when we're lonely, our brain is like, right. is someone going to reject me? Is someone going to harm me? And we actually desire to withdraw even while we would desire to connect when we're lonely. So that's why like, I think online can be a good medium for people that are chronically lonely and it feels too intense mm. to put yourself out there in person, but you can kind of start start on online. Wow, that's fascinating. I love the idea that loneliness is actually a state of mind. I think that's such a, I don't know, I've never heard, of, heard, of, heard it put that way. And that really clarifies it on a much deeper level for me. I love that. Yeah. Slash the fact that it's so, that it's so instinctive is also a little terrifying. It is. Mm-hmm. It's like, gosh, brain, what's going on? Are yeah. you supposed to help me find connection when I'm lonely, not make it harder? <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. I imagine like, having kind of especially coming out of the time that we're in of where where there has been more loneliness as you're speaking about of of these kind of you know not every relationship need being filled etc it's it's going to take a while to get that ability back right to, that it's actually something we have to work toward yep absolutely and you know it can take time and it can take work i will say that interestingly some of the interventions against loneliness actually work on focus focus on changing your thinking, like the, the thinking mm. patterns that you tend to develop when you're lonely, which is like, people can't be trusted. Everybody's going to reject me. Nobody really likes me. Um, like loneliness, it's particularly damaging when we see it as something that's going to last forever because we think, oh, I'm lonely because there's something wrong with me fundamentally, so I can't get out of this. Mm. Or I'm lonely because other people can never be trusted, right? That's when we see loneliness continue over time. Whereas someone who's more optimistic and can think, this is a difficult moment. I know I won't be lonely forever. I know I have something to bring to my social relationships, even though it doesn't feel like it right now. According to the research, they're a lot more likely to find connection over time. 
So how did you get into this kind of work? Like what, what drew you to study this and to really dig into the science of friendship and relationship in this way? Yeah, that's a great question. I love love, but I've resented love for a long time because, you know, for me going through breakups and realizing that I thought like romantic love was the only love that made me worthy or valuable, you know, especially as a woman. Um, and feeling like I have no love in my life if I don't have a romantic partner in my younger 20s um, were beliefs that really made things a lot worse for me. And I decided to start a wellness group with friends to really recover from this grief where we met up each week to practice wellness, cooking, meditation, yoga. But the most healing thing of all was friendship, just seeing people I love regularly. And I realized like, why doesn't this love matter? Like we are so lonely as a society. Why would we throw any form of love in the garbage? Like why should why should we act like platonic love cannot fulfill us? Platonic love just because people love us platonically that we're not loved. Like just all of the gaps in my thinking that made me feel a lot more alienated. I just really began to question and I thought we as a culture need to question these things because they're isolating all of us. Mm. It's not just me. Um and so that I think was one of the the biggest triggers for me to write platonic. I wanted to elevate the status of platonic love. Can you, for the benefit of our listeners who um, probably have not yet read your book, um, can you kind of break down its main kind of like its main thesis and the the various uh, chapters and steps that you outline to uh, make and maintain friendships? Yes. So I'm a psychologist, so it's going to get deep when you read Platonic, right? I I argue that we have to (laughs) fundamentally reconcile with who we are if we want to create better connections because basically the thesis is how we've connected, whether we know it or not, has fundamentally sculpted our personalities. You know, whether we are kind, loving, vulnerable, open, um, initiate with others, cynical, distrusting, all of those are aspects of our personalities that are determined by our previous experiences of connection or lack thereof, right? So to understand who we are as friends, we need to understand our past. Um, But then who we are affects how we connect. It's not random. Those that have had healthy relationships in the past what I call in the book, according to a theory called attachment theory, they're securely attached and they tend to to gravitate towards traits and characteristics that allow them to continue to build connection in the future, like initiative, vulnerability, authenticity, affection, generosity, being good at conflict, like securely attached people. This comes naturally to them because this was modeled to them and they've internalized the love they received. Insecurely attached people, however, their past has told them that they can't rely on people, that people will abandon them. So their personality is is sort of like, in a bit of a way, survival strategies for the connection that they assume will be sabotaged from them. So insecurely attached people do things like push people away and isolate themselves or cling very, very closely. They get into fight or flight mode a lot more easily. So they really struggle with working through conflict. Just a lot think people will reject them. So they don't initiate with people. They don't show affection towards people. They're less generous. They're in self-protection mode because of their past, which means that they're not in pro-relationship mode because so many things that we do to protect ourselves, our relationships 
are sacrificed for them, right? Like I'm not vulnerable. I'm not going to initiate. I'm not going to compliment you. All of this is going to protect me, but the cost is going to be my relationship. So if we experience insecure attachment, because we've had this past around unhealthy relationships, that might be our style of relating to others. Now, I just wanted to say, because I think people hear me and sometimes they're like, oh, great. Good for people with the healthy parents and the healthy childhood. Right, right. Good for people that weren't bullied in middle school. That your right. attachment... Yeah, yeah. That your attachment can absolutely change over time. My attachment has gotten more secure over time. Some research finds that most of our attachment styles change over time. And the book is basically about telling you, hey, here are all the things you can do to become more securely attached. Uh, this is... Oh, boy. I feel like very, it's like exhilarating, but now I'm like reflecting on my childhood and figuring out how that impacts how I'm a friend. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. oh, shoot. <laughs> so you, you do this a great job, or uh, I feel like a, a very clear, great job of kind of breaking down different initiatives or excuse me, different steps in your book, um, on how to kind of like, it, it's almost, it's almost twofold, right? Like you're kind of working on yourself and in turn creating stronger, relationships. Um, or at least that's mm-hmm. how I interpret it. Would that be correct? That's absolutely correct. Which is so cool because it's like, you know, you do self-work and then you get this really nice bonus out of it of of relationships. But um, could you kind of give us like the nutshell of each? Um, because I love how you, you work through everything and the theme of self-compassion really kind of runs throughout. But like, for example, the first one is how to take initiative, right? Like you're really kind of guiding us on how to build these relationships. So this is a hard one for me. Take initiative. How do you suggest people do this, especially those of us who might be a bit insecure in this area? Yeah. First, I understand why you feel insecure. It's scary. Um, These aren't things we learn how to do, Mm. right? Uh, a lot of us just rely on this, what I would say is a myth that friendship should happen organically. Yes. And when we were kids, we had that. We had what sociologist Rebecca Adams says is the ingredients for friendship to happen organically, continuous unplanned interaction, shared vulnerability. But as adults, we just don't have that. Like a lot of us just don't have those settings anymore. We don't have the right infrastructure, but we're using the same template from childhood. And that means that we lose out because in fact, thinking that friendship happens based off luck is related to being lonely. And people that see it as happening based on effort, less lonely five years later, because they're making that effort. Um, Of course, I think one of the biggest barriers is we're also afraid of rejection, just like what you said, Kate. But according to the research I've read, we're just less likely to be rejected than we think. Um, There's a phenomenon called the liking gap, wherein When strangers interact and they report, how much do you like the other person? How much do you think they like you? We tend to underestimate how liked we are. And the more self, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) the more self critical we are, the more pronounced our liking gap is. And so just because you think people are going to reject you doesn't mean that's the truth. And one of the biggest tips I share in the book that helps people become more secure is begin to assume that people like you because when you do, according to the research, when when researchers sort of manipulated people to think this way, they found that people became warmer, open, more friendly, even though this wasn't true, right? They, they, they told them this. This wasn't true. But it changed the way they show up in the world in a, such a way that this became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Whereas yeah. those of us who really fear rejection um, high in rejection sensitivity, which is you project that you're being rejected even when you're not. 
we reject people because we get cold, we get withdrawn, and then people don't engage with us. And we assume it's because people just want to reject us, not realizing, oh, how I'm showing up because of these fears is actually making my greatest fear more likely to happen. Mm. I mean... This is when I say I feel personally attacked. Um, (laughs) But I think sometimes, you know, at least for me personally, and I'm curious what you think about this, but I will sometimes say, well, I know this person doesn't like me. And so, you know, well, that's why I'm just, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm not going to be friends with them. They, They don't like me. And I do think that that is like a defense mechanism in a way, right? Because it means I don't have to make myself vulnerable to them because I've already just kind of put it on them that they don't like me. Yep. Um, and I'm wondering what what your thoughts are about that and just about kind of defense mechanisms and fear of rejection generally. Yeah, defense mechanisms are real. And then I think they crush our sense of authenticity. I think authenticity is who we are without our defense mechanisms, who we are when we feel most safe. And when we're authentic, I argue that we're naturally good at connecting with people when we're not trying to protect ourselves in these ways. Like what naturally comes out is compassion and love and generosity and affection, right? Mm. Um, So that's really great. I would say that you're exactly right in that there's this theory called the theory of inverted attraction that basically says what makes someone likable is that they like people. And if we think people don't like us, we're not going to like them. And it's, it's again, going to become a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy because if you don't think someone likes you, you're going to back away from them, act withdrawn. They might actually not like you, right? And so right. I think it – yeah, yeah. So in general, I mean, my suggestion based off of all the research that I've read is to hold your insecurities with humility. Like don't necessarily mm. assume – that your fears are true, right? You can acknowledge that, oh my gosh, I'm, I think they don't like me, right? But you can also say, I'm not actually sure about this and maybe I want to still engage in an open-hearted way, right? To disrupt that self-fulfilling prophecy that's gonna happen if you let your insecurities be the truth. Well, and it's like, we're our own least reliable narrators. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Dory, because honestly, our brains are focused on self-protection more than connection. And we ha- our brains learn from negative experiences, much more from positive mm. ones. So I've had a friend who was like in middle school. My friends called me and told me they never really liked me. So I never initiated a friendship again. And I'm just like, there are so many, I've literally like liked you this whole time. <laughs> and um, there's so many people who have liked you since then, but you haven't registered it because once you had this intense negative experience, you weren't open yeah. to learning anything else. Like that was it at the right. end of the day. And even if people are loving you, if you have this negative story, you aren't actually registering all the ways that people are expressing love, appreciation, kindness towards you. So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. 
not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering crappiness, Dory. Mm. Okay. Which is okay. I know. visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting-edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their mm-hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here mm-hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving, that sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the Amen. purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Okay, we're back. I love in in your chapter about authenticity. I love how you talk about authenticity in terms of ending friendships or changing the status of a friendship. Um, and I would love to hear you talk about that a lot because we do get people asking like, how, how do I know if this friendship or like, I don't like being friends with these people, but I'm stuck in this friendship or how do I end a friendship or, you know, as I have put it recently, like consciously uncouple from a friend. Um, <laughs> and how, and how does that, how does doing so connect with, honoring your authentic self because I had never I had never connected those two before and I thought that was a really interesting point that you make. Yeah. So our authenticity it, to me it's who we are when we feel really safe and when we're mm. not hijacked by defense mechanisms. So it gives us I think a really clear sense of our wants and needs <laughs> like whether you enjoy this person or not versus whether you feel like this person might not like me so I have to reject them first, right? Like that's sort of like a I don't want to say it's like a less re- reliable indicator of whether you actually connect with someone, but it's a less true, <laughs> yeah. a less true because indi- it doesn't mm. actually reflect how you think and feel. It reflects your desire to protect yourself. 
Um, and so that's why I think thinking about friendships in like an authentic way, like, is this coming from a defense mechanism? Do I think they were rejecting me? Is that why I want to end this friendship? If I felt like they did love me, would I still want to end this friendship? Right. Um, I think asking yourself those questions can be really helpful. One thing that I, I talk about, um, in regards to like conflict and anger in friendship, right? There's a difference. But I talk about anger as a, a good quality for friendship. And yeah. that's because I talk about how like there's two types of anger and one is called anger of hope. And that's what secure people tend to feel. They get angry and they're like, oh, this is a signal that I have to share that there's a problem that we need to fix together. <laughs> um, anger of despair, what insecure people tend to feel insecurely attached is I'm angry, so I want to destroy this. I want to incite revenge. Again, it's mm. a lot more self-protective rather than pro-relationship, right? And if we can, and I, I, I go, I talk about my own process of being so afraid of talking through issues with friends that I almost like didn't talk to my best friend who is vital to me. Like what I would have lose, mm. lost out on was so vast. And then I read the study that oh, having open empathic conflict is linked to deeper intimacy. And I'm like, hmm, mm. maybe I need to start questioning my ways. Maybe I'm actually harming the friendship by not bringing up conflict because I'm then withdrawing, right? It's either I bring it up or I withdraw. Mm. Not like I bring it up and then I get over it and we're fine. That's what I've kind of realized the options were. Yeah. Um, so I so I bring it up to her and I realize what the psychoanalyst Virginia Goldner tells us that could happen in our relationships when we bring things up that we can experience either comfortable safety, which means I feel safe in this relationship because we pretend nothing's ever wrong versus dynamic safety, which is we rupture, we repair, we rupture and we repair. And that is what Goldner argues, like the deepest form of intimacy with someone. I just want to note to our listeners, like we got a lot of questions about friendship. This is the book you want to read. Like this really, because yes, this is you the do, one. Yeah. Like you do such a great job of, of kind of fusing it with scientific study, but also just giving like very straightforward advice and direction on how to go about initiating and sustaining these relationships. And I, I it's just, yeah, it's um, very, very actionable. I, yes. I like. I, I like really tips. appreciate that. I, like, yeah. I, know. I don't like. I don't like books that are like go figure it out for yourself. I like <laughs> books that are like here's what to do because I need that. Um, and one of the questions that we do get a lot is from people who either they don't have kids and all their friends have kids, or mm. they have kids and their friends don't have kids, and how to maintain friendships and these are mostly like people in their 30s and 40s um when kind of like life paths start to diverge yeah oh gosh yes this is my life right now <laughs> mm. so i understand all the people asking these questions um and here's you know one of the ways that i think about it first of all i think some people's model of friendship is that this is a relationship that I have in the purgatory until I meet my romantic partner and find my family, right? And that might be some of your friends. <laughs> and it might feel really lousy for you when that starts to happen. And it, you can tell you're not a priority as much anymore, or maybe even mm -hmm. at all, right? And I think you should certainly like bring it up and, and talk to, to friends about it in, in a way that 
you know, open empathic comp- anger of hope, real energy. But if, if you come to find that this is just this friend's values, right? And I think we should not try to force our friends to have different values and priorities. Like forcing people to try to value us is a recipe for toxic relationships because mm. you're literally willing yourself to engage in a relationship where you're not getting what you are looking for, right? And so, it, and not saying that this is everyone with kids, like you, there are people with kids that will prioritize their friendship with you, right? Um, and, and again, I think two friendship endings aren't, aren't binary. It's, you can have, you know, that we, we don't connect in the same way. So that means that I can dial down this friendship instead of ending this friendship altogether. So that's another option. Um, that can make things really hard. I think there's also just a set of assumptions that starts to happen when friends have kids that can too become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like um, friends without kids could be like, they're so busy with their kids. They don't want to hear from me. Right. Mm. And then you're not engaging in the relationship and it kind of starts to end not realizing how, okay, the biggest burden you place on this relationship is not you reaching out. It's actually your silence. Like people still want friends when they have kids. And in fact, that's one of the biggest predictors of your how well you adapt to parenthood is just like you having that larger social support community. Um, so that is that is really, really important. I think too, when we get close, what tends to happen is we include people in our sense of ourselves. Like what happens to you almost feels like it happens to me. And I think it can be important to like lean into that a little bit, right? That I'm happy that mm-hmm. these are the experiences that you're ha- having because you're my friend and I'm close to you and I want to be interested in these experiences. Even though we have, we're going off in different life trajectories, let's maintain interest and curiosity about each other's lives rather than just assuming that diverging paths mean a inevitable disconnection. Hmm. I really love that you wrote a whole chapter on offering generosity. I, I, I had never heard this or, or read this kind of verbalized before, this idea of like concrete ways in which we can be generous. Not just, not just like, I'm going to teach you a skill, which is something you do suggest, but also like the ways in which we communicate, like generosity in our communication and communicating our boundaries. Um, for people who might be coming to this for the first time, kind of like I was, could you just give some like basic tips on what you mean by that and and why offering generosity within the context of a friendship is so important? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when you, this is a misconception I used to have about friendship, which is that um, people want to be friends with someone who's like funny, smart, entertaining, Right. But in fact, what I learned from the research is that the number one thing people report wanting in a friend is feeling valued as a person. Mm. And so anything you can do to make your friend feel valued is going to create closeness and intimacy. And generosity, doing things for your friend is just one way to do that, right? But I talk about the sort of tension of generosity in the book, which is that Sometimes we confuse generosity with being a martyr and we engage in what's called unmitigated giving, which means we give and give and give without regard for ourselves. And actually research finds that that actually makes our mental health worse, even though generosity generally improves our mental health and it it doesn't improve our relationships as much. Reason being Mm. that when you give to someone out of a sense of obligation, they can kind of pick up on it. And and it feels really crummy to feel like this person's doing it just because they feel like they have to and they're dragging their feet, right? And so 
I sort of engage with a lot of complexities around generosity because I also don't think the solution is, well, I'm never going to help you unless I feel like it and I'm never going to be inconvenienced for a friend. Because to me, friendship isn't just someone whose company you enjoy. It's a commitment and a responsibility too, just like any relationship, right? And so what I, what I sort of end up on is this concept I came across called mutuality, which is mutuality means I'm thinking about your needs and mine and trying to figure out a solution that works best. So I'm going to set a boundary when you're calling me at 10 p.m. to discuss, I don't know, the latest episode of Game of Thrones and I'm really tired, but I'm not going to set a boundary when you call me at 10 p.m. to tell me that you're, you've decided to go through this divorce, right? Like it's a little bit more fluid because it, I think if we're too rigid with our boundaries, we will betray one of the golden rules of friendship, one of the things that people look for the most in their friends, which is you're going to support me in times of need. And when I really need someone, you're going to show up for me. And I think when we can be too rigid with our boundaries, we convey to our friend, when you really need someone, I won't be there because I need to have this boundary because it's really, really important to me, right? And so it's just about taking a step back and seeing the bigger picture of the friendship and valuing when your friend sets a boundary, understanding that that's part of what they need to recharge to give more in the long run, valuing when you set a boundary, because again, it means you can give more in the long run and just considering both parties. So good. So good. It's very helpful. I'm, you know, Kate, I want to ask um, Dr. Franco about the question that we got on the pod on on a podcast that we recorded today, even though that's not going to air for another like week. Yeah. About work friends. Um, I'm curious what your take is on work friends um, and how they can be valuable, um, how we can make work friends, and also what some of the pitfalls of work friends can be. Good question. I was not always a believer in the work friend. Mm. I felt like I need to do work. <laughs> I don't have time for connection. And um, I was, you know, this is when I was a professor, my last job as a professor. And I felt like, um, you know, it felt vulnerable to make a work friend that if this person knows more information about me, could they use it against me? But Ooh. I was wrong, y'all. Because um, as I read the research and my personal experience showed me that people with work friends more satisfied at their jobs, more fulfilled, um, mm. perform better, are more innovative, form more cohesive teams, like just get more opportunities. Like for me, not making work friends means that I was working harder, not smarter. Because when people made friends mm. with people, they offered them grant opportunities. They offered them to be on research papers. Like those were the things that moved them forward in their jobs. They came through these friends and connections they had. So it wasn't that we're, friends were getting in the way of my work, but friends would have actually facilitated my work is what I didn't know. Um, and so I think we have in the workplace what I call, you know, I, I speak on like finding belonging at work. And I call this like the myth of the employee, the idea that we get to work and we're no longer human and we don't have these fundamental needs anymore, right? Like we don't need to belong. We can just clack away at a computer and we're human everywhere. Like your relatedness and sense of belonging is again, one of the biggest predictors of how meaningful you find your work and whether you're going to be retained in that job. So I think work friends are key. Now I'm very intentional about cultivating them. How do you do that? One study Mm -hmm. found more time we spend together at work, the less close we feel. So the liability of the work friend is that I'm only showing you one dimension of myself and you never actually know who I am as a person, right? And then it's hard Mm. to actually feel like friends. So 
I think you need to stop talking about work. If you want to make a work friend, Mm. stop talking about work. Like Google had people share highs and lows at the beginning of their virtual teams, for example. Um, I think icebreakers, as cheesy as they are, can be good in that way. Like scheduling meetings with people to be like, I don't want to talk with you about work. I just want to see how you're doing and see and get to know you a little bit more, right? Like that is like so, so key. So that going back to something we said earlier, work can be a place then where we have continuous unplanned interaction and shared vulnerability that we have that infrastructure for friendship that we used to have as kids. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad we asked you this because Dory and I both responded and we were like, you don't really need friends at work. Just have professional relationships. You're fine. <laughs> I'm really, That's really glad. That, too. We, we, that, was our, that was our initial reaction. And yeah. then and then we offered some suggestions. But I do, I do really appreciate what you're saying about how work friends can be strategic. Um, you know, whether or not mm. you're kind of going into it with that, they ultimately, like you said, they, they can be strategic. And I see how that also can, you know, affect people who might be from like marginalized communities. If everyone in your office is like white and male and you are a gay woman of color and it's like, it might be harder to make those alliances, um, in your workplace. So I think it, it, it gets tricky when, you know, we start to think about it in that sense as well. Yeah, it totally does. And I've been there. (laughs) I've been the only black professor Mm -hmm. and um, experiencing discrimination. And what discrimination does to you is that it makes you constantly alert that you might Mm -hmm. experience more discrimination. Mm -hmm. So it gets really, really hard to connect with people when you are always on high alert that they're going to say something to hurt you. It just makes you want to withdraw, similar to how loneliness works, right? I think discrimination is a form of loneliness. Yeah. So it's really, really hard. I think, you know, what I've realized being a woman of color in the workplace is that um, I don't know if people would use the term trauma, but what I know is that trauma in any form, whether that's discrimination, if you consider it a form of trauma, generalizes. So it's like anyone crudely represents these characteristics that's similar to the person that hurt me. I now don't like, um, not just the perpetrator, but everyone, mm. right? So for me, experiencing all this discrimination and feeling fearful around white people, like or is any white person going to discriminate against me? But realizing I need to maintain nuance, that there's some people that are more welcoming and inclusive than others, right? And if I don't maintain that nuance, I'm going to inevitably be alienated. So I have to remind myself that, you know, just because someone is white doesn't mean that they are going to be prejudiced and discriminatory towards me. It's like what my self-protective brain is telling me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad we asked that. I, I wanted to touch on one final um, thing you focus on in your book, which is affection, because this fascinated me that you and was exciting that you included it. But this is, again, not something I think we talk a lot about when it comes to platonic relationships. So what is the importance of affection as you see it? And this is also something that if it wasn't modeled to us can be very hard to figure out how to navigate as adults. Um, and so what are what are your thoughts and suggestions there? Mm-hmm. So many thoughts. So um, I talked a little bit before about how we're either in self-protection mode or risk regulation or sorry, risk regulation theory. We're in self-protection mode or pro-relationship mode, right? Um, Affection is how we get other people out of self-protection mode. So they feel Mm. comfortable being in pro-relationship mode with us. So 
I'm conveying to you that I like you and you're valued. And that is your invitation to stop protecting yourself and to let to shed all of those behaviors that come with protecting yourself that harm relationships and to feel comfortable investing in this relationship, um, being more vulnerable in this relationship, right? Affection really helps us get there. The problem, Kate, just like what you said, is that we just don't get the same permission that we do in our traditional spouse partnerships. And in that chapter, I really had to look into history because what I found in history is that feelings of romance, which are I'm passionate about someone. I idealize them. Um, I feel a very like fiery emotion towards them, right? Those have been part of friendship for centuries. In fact, even more so than marriage. Like people got married in the early 1800s and before practical reasons. I wanted someone whose name would look good with mine. They're from a family that is honored or they have resources. And the genders were considered so distinct that the idea was that only people of the same gender, your friends, could you really deeply and intimately connect to. And so friends at that time would hold hands, carve their names into trees, write love letters for each other. You know, romance has just always been a part of friendship. And I wish we could normalize it as a part of friendship now, because I think a lot of us feel like, oh my God, I love this friend so much. And I just want to be around them all the time. And we're like, but is that weird? Is that creepy? And it's like, no, this has always been typical. This has always been normal. We've just started pretending that it wasn't. And that really limits our ability to show affection to our friends and to really reap all the benefits that that deep affection could bring and the intimacy that that could bring. I wanted to ask one more thing, which is about parasocial friendships. Because this is, I feel like, a new thing that we're navigating culturally. This idea of like one-sided friendships with people who we actually truly don't know, but feel like we know. Yeah. I know Dory and I have had this because we're podcasters. And so people you know, they hear us in their ears and we have like a very intimate relationship with them, but we've actually never met them. Are, are, how do we navigate this? Because I know I have parasocial relationships with different people also, celebrities, influencers, authors, whoever. Do you think we're like veering into strange territory? Can these relationships be fulfilling? Are, are they the same as real friendships? Like, what is, what do you see as an expert here? I think they, uh, they can contribute to our sense of satisfaction generally. And I think they're totally fine. I think the problem is parasocial relationships have begun to replace um, not regular social relationships, typical social yeah. relationships, right? And that's the territory that is very harmful and damaging, just like I talked about with social media. When we displace in-person connection for parasocial connection, it's almost like the liability of parasocial connection is that it benefits us in some way. We're getting a snack. And mm. so then we're just like, I don't need the meal. Like I watched my favorite celebrity on TV. I kind of feel a little bit connected. So I don't need to like go out there and actually make connections with people. It's like we're just fed a series of nutrient deprived snacks, <laughs> I think, with our media, with like social media, with television. Um, because it's actually like one of the biggest things that really started to make us lonely was the television. Because before that, people experienced leisure in community with others. And now they could experience leisure within the privacy of their own homes and still feel some level of connection because of those parasocial relationships. And so that's, I think, what I just want to conclude, that parasocial relationships are okay. Just make sure that you also have social relationships. That is very good advice. I think we've relied on those relationships a lot over the last few years. So that is, mm -hmm. that is very good advice. <laughs> well, I feel like I've learned 
I don't know. I mean, God, I wish you were my professor. I that you must have. <laughs> oh, I've learned so much just in this conversation. Um, yes. Where I mean, your book Platonic is out. Listeners can get it anywhere you buy, borrow, listen to books. Um, but where else can we follow along with you and your work? And you know, no pressure, but maybe have a parasocial friendship with you as well. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So I'm on Instagram at Dr. Marissa G. Franco. That's D-R-M-A-R-I-S-A-G-F-R-A-N-C-O. And on my website, www.drmarissagfranco.com, you can access a quiz that assesses your strengths and weaknesses as a friend and gives you some suggestions or reach out about speaking engagements, about connection and belonging. And again, my book, if you want to hear more in-depth as to what we shared, is called Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. Thank you so much. This is so great. This was, yeah, this was amazing. It was my pleasure. Bye, y'all. Dory, you know, I was reviewing our intentions. Yes. From last week. And yes. you had put you had put heat wave just as like a note yes. to yourself is what you were going to talk about, and we've discussed how that's been going. Do you feel like you've been able to take care of yourself through this heat wave experience? I mean, to be perfectly honest, sort of. Good you know, like the- I feel I'm I'm glad that I have central air. Very grateful that I have central air, and you know, I can stay in my house. But like. Henry gets very restless and antsy when we stay in the house all day. And, you know, he wants to, he wants to leave. He wants to get out. He, he didn't nap, uh, Saturday or Sunday. I think partly because like we didn't go, we barely went anywhere. Um, and he's napping today. Maybe because we left the house this morning. I don't know. But like, you know, that's just another factor is like, I think maybe with older kids, it's a, it is a little easier to just like park them in front of the TV or on an iPad and they're fine with it. And Henry wants to watch TV, but it also like makes him cranky um, and sort of lethargic, but not tired. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. So, you know, kind of like managing his feelings and needs during a heat wave is challenging and i'm just like cranky oh and also we didn't tell everyone both of us got our bivalent vaccines this weekend that's right we got our boosters baby we got our boosters so i got mine a couple days ago and the day after i got it my arm was really sore like very very sore and I had a headache. Like, I just wasn't feeling great. And there was a mm. heat wave and I had my period. Like, it was just not a great day. And I would say tempers were frayed <laughs> here. Um, and yeah, I was not, I was not at my best. So I would say uh, intention is sort of like a meh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this week, th- so this is the week that I'm actually traveling and I, I'm going to, I am, my intention is to try and like keep it moving, uh, and not like <laughs> really trying to not sweat the small stuff. Yes. But it's kind of hard, but I'm trying. Okay. I am okay. trying. Um, well, you know, for me, I think last week I had really committed to getting into my infrared sauna blanket, which is my mm-hmm. wonderfully ridiculous 
exactly what it sounds like sauna blanket. Yep. 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 And I did do it and I love it and it makes me feel amazing, but I'm not doing it in a heat wave. So that's going on the back burner, even though it actually heats. It's like the process of using it is different than if you like laid out outside, but still I am just going to put that on the back burner. Okay. Anyway. And what about this week? Oh, I have one more update though. I did okay. send. A, I did send a letter per my like two week ago intention to one of my BFFs, and she Aww. just texted me to say that she got it and Aww. that she loves me. So Aww. that really worked to my advantage. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> no, I just wanted my friend to tell me that she loved me. So oh, really oh I no, see. I, I see. I was ha- no, I, no, I'm joking. I was really, I was. It made my day that like she got it, and I hope it made her happy. So I'm going to try to keep writing some letters to people. Cute. So also, you know what? I will say it was nice to be able to like, express my feelings about her in like a handwritten way because I feel like often that gets lost over text or phone calls. And it was yes. just nice to like kind of get a little sensitive and emotional in how I feel about her and write it down. Totally. So, highly recommend 10 out of 10, write your friend a letter. Oh, okay. Mm. All right, I will. <laughs> okay, and, and write it to me. Uh, this week, this is the most boring, least sexy intention ever. But Penny, our puppy, ate my retainer. My tooth no. retainer that I just recently got. Yes. She ate it. Oh, Kate, what a bummer. <laughs> so literally my intention this week is to call my dentist to get a new retainer because I don't want those teeth to move. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> I, real. Like, my dog my dog ate my retainer story. It is truly I mean, this dog eats paper. So I said to my children, like, this dog literally could eat your homework. So you, we have to be super careful. She is just majorly a puppy right now. And I don't hold it against her, you know? She's a puppy. Of course. She's um, a puppy. She, she's a very good girl. But I think my retainer fell on the ground of my bedroom and because oh, I then no. I I found like shards of it in my bed and I just oh, oh no oh so no. yeah was she okay she didn't suffer any ill effects she I'm I have been watching her for the last twenty four hours and examining her poops and she seems fine I don't know if she actually swallowed any of it or just chewed it up so yeah oh my gosh dogs Penny. dogs dogs dogs. Penny. Oh, she's a piece of work, this one. Uh, All right. Well, Dory, that brings us to the end of the road here. It sure does. Should we remind everyone that Forever 35 is hosted and produced by me, Dory Shafrier, and you, Kate Spencer, and produced and edited by Sam Junio and Sammy Reed is our project manager. Our network partners, ACAST. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Farewell.